I have a couple things I gotta confess real quickly. One, I only have 20 minutes and then the hook comes out and they say I gotta get off stage. So Sam has got a hook over here. So anyway, I don't stand behind here so I move a lot and coffee does not help me but that's just how I am. So, um, so I wanna start with the question. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And so as we go through this passage, I love passages like this because I'm wired black and white. It's very easy for me. If you do this, don't do that. This is what it looks like. But when you get a little in the gray areas, things are a little more hard to understand, it's a little harder for me. So I love this one. So um, we're just going to start off and just start with verse 1 and work ourselves through here. And I'm going to give you just some highlighted points because I only have 20 minutes. So I just want you to grasp these. I'm also going to refer a lot to I or me. I was asked to speak about two months ago, and so as I worked through this, this, these verses have really hit me on how I live my life and how I have lived my life, and if I say I am a follower of Christ, what does that mean? So that's going to be my premise for that. So I'm not looking at, look at me, look what I'm doing, but look at me on what I've learned, and then take that for yourself if you would. So let's start off. So, um, yes, sir, what's wrong? Oh, got you. Okay. Okay. Thank you, sir. No, we do not. So, okay, so verse 1 and 2, we're going to break it down into three points. First point is, who are we, who are we supposed to look like, and who are we supposed to follow? So we start off, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitators is another word. If you look at this word, this word also means to uh, uh, um, imitate and, I just lost my words, but it means to reflect. It means to be be that person, look like that person as beloved children. Beloved children are who? Those are those people, those are those, the children of God who God adores. And so who do, who do the beloved children imitate? Their father. Who is their father? God is holy and God is righteous. We are supposed to look like who we say we follow. Verse 2, to walk in love. So what does that mean? Well, it says here, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragment offering and a sacrifice to God. So if we say we follow Christ, we follow Jesus, what are we following? We're following an example of how Christ did what? What did he say over and over and over in Scripture? I did not come to do the will of do my will, but to do the will of the Father. Isn't that what he said? So he willed himself in alignment to what God wanted. So if we are a follower of Christ, what, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to will ourselves to how Christ willed himself to the Father through total submission of ourselves, sacrificing ourselves, sacrificing our lives, giving our lives to him. Isn't that a great thing? I mean, isn't that, isn't that a wonderful thing that we can do? And if we do that, I mean, doesn't that give us relief? Doesn't that help us to kind of figure out life a little bit? I think it does. But then Paul goes into an explanation of, I think what he's saying is that this is what you're supposed to look like. But if you act like this, is this what Christ, this, is this what God looks like? So he breaks this down. He says uh, in verse, uh, verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you 
as is proper among saints. In other words, these things cannot be even be talked about if you call yourself a follower of Christ. Because why? Because you are not imitating God. And so what are you really doing? You are doing as one of the Ten Commandments. Which one am I referring to? Thou shalt not take the Lord's God name in vain. See, we take that as, you know, we're using God's name in a swear, right? But I think it means much, much more than that. I think when we say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I act like the world, I'm taking God's name in vain. I'm really saying, God, this is what you look like, immoral. God's not that way, is he? It goes on, let there be no uh, filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead be there, let there be thanksgiving. When I started, when, when Sam asked me to speak on this, I started reading this, and I work, I work, in, I work for WorkSource. They are a state agency, helps people find jobs and stuff like that, so I work with two other uh, people, Haley and Gary. Gary is a Christian, so we were talking about this one day, and, and uh, I'm going to confess some, some of my sins to you. Not my sins because I lit or something like that, but real sins I think maybe you guys can re, uh, relate to. In the prior chapter here, it talks about gossip and slander. I'm very quick to do that to people who walk in the dark. I deal with people who come in who are very professional, dressed, they got a resume, they got it together. And I deal with people who have been on the street for three or four or five months and never had a shower. I deal with people who come in who look like Phyllis Dillon. And I deal with people who come in in pajamas. I deal with people who are on crack, who have done heroin, who, um, who um, are druggies, who have been incarcerated. And as soon as I walk through that door, I judge them just like this, and I say, Pfft. Why don't you go home and get dressed up? Why don't you go get fixed up a little bit? I'm slandering and I'm gossiping. And as soon as they leave, Haley, did you see that person? I just can't believe they came in here like this, right? And some of you are going, well, okay, you know, that's the truth. They look that way. Why, why is that so wrong? Why? Because I'm talking about somebody who's been creating God's image. See, if I'm supposed to represent and be an imitation of God, how would God deal with that person who just walked in that door? Is that how he would deal with them? And the answer is no. God would love them. So I'm not really lining up to how to imitate God. That's just one, one example here of, of, of my life. But it goes on to say, uh, for, for you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. So what am I saying? What is this saying? I think it's saying just one thing, that if you act this way, if this is your mode of operation, if you have this habitual sin, that this is how you perform, that you're really not my child. How many of you act this way? How many of you are this way? Crude joking, filthiness, foolish talk, we all do it, right? I mean, if we're going to be honest, we have to say who did, and everybody can raise their hand, because we all do it. We all do it. But see, the thing is not about if we do that, then we're constantly falling down. It's just like, what's the purpose, and what's, what's, why continue? Why try to do anything right? Why try to be this? Because I'm always going to fail, right? 
But I think the thing here is what I what first the first verse re- relates to, which is what that Christ willed Himself to do what the Father gave Him. He gave up His life. So I think for us, it's it's that will. It's not about do we sin and are we going to continue failing. That's not the point. I think the point is that. How do we deal with sin when it, when, it, when it brings those service? When we know we become aware of our sin in our life, how do we react? I think when we get convicted by the Holy Spirit, and if we are truly saved, and what I mean by this is this, we can, be, we can, we can have a confession of Jesus Christ. We can be a follower of Jesus Christ and still wind up in hell. And why do I say that? Because if you go back and you look at the stories of Christ, and he fed 5,000 in one place and 3,000 in another place. These were all followers of Jesus. But they were only followers of Jesus in what he could do. See, they, they followed because they wanted what the blessing was of following Christ, being fed, looking at the spiritual trick that he was going to do that day as far as healing somebody, raising somebody from the dead, making somebody, allowing somebody to walk. See, they were really good at wanting to do that, but they really weren't followers because when it was all said and done at the end of the day, who was left? The true, the true followers, right? The 12. If we want to break it down, there was only really 11. See, even Judas Iscariot was a follower of Christ. But what was the difference between a follower of Christ in that example and a regenerated follower of Christ? It's what that word regenerated means. Have you really yielded your life? Have you really given your life to Christ? So what does that mean? Does that mean because we give an altar call, you raise your hand, you come over, you say this prayer, this magical prayer that somehow you're saved? No more things to worry about. We can just live our lives. See, that's what the world does. I've worked, going back to where I worked, I've worked here four years, and I I tend to be pretty vocal on what I believe and how I believe, even with knowing the consequences, because it is a state, federal-funded organization. But every now and then I'll get into conversations with people, and I'll ask them, I'll say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I'll move back. I usually would say I'm a Christian. Hey, I'm a Christian too. And go in the conversation, and pretty soon they're doing their work just on the computer, and they're over there, GD, cussing. And I'm going, no, wait a minute. You just said you were just like me. We both profess to be Christian. We both profess to be supposedly a follower of Christ. So I've, rever- I've changed my, my terminology because a Christian doesn't mean anything in this day and age, right? You can be born American, you're a Christian, right? But to me, and according to this passage, this says much more than that. It's a much more narrow view of what a follower of Christ is. It means separated from the world. It means you do not look like the world. If you practice these things here, I think Paul, that God is saying in his word, if this is how you live your life, regardless if you said a prayer, you said some biblical, theologically sound words, you're not saved. We see it in the sheep and the goat, don't we? They come to him saying, well, Lord, didn't we cast out didn't we raise people from men and cast out this and do this and this? And what did he say to those people? Depart from me, doers of iniquity, I never knew you. How many of you 
what side of the page are you on today, folks? See, I'm not doing this to, to beat you up, so to speak, or make you feel shame or guilt, but I am, I am trying to get you to analyze yourself today. Make today a new start in your, in, in your lives. See, going back to just for a minute here, if we're a follower of Christ and Christ gave up who he was, what did he give up? You think about that for a minute? See, the, the, the quick answer is, well, Christ came from glory, came down, born of a virgin, lived a, lived a sinless life, was, was, was beaten, was crucified, died, rose again, and now seated at the right hand of God. But if you look at the sequence of what, what really happened and who actually really came to earth, I think it takes on a whole different thought process. God, God came to earth. God who is not in a shell, cannot fit in this room, cannot fit in any structure because God is so huge. And God is so miraculous. And so God is so amazing and awesome and full of love and mercy and grace. He cannot be captured or contained. So God allowed himself to be put into a body like ours, right? There's a son of God, son of man, right? That's Jesus. To be born of a virgin so he could walk and show us how to live our lives, knowing the consequence of, of what he was supposed to do. See, this wasn't just something he came in this one day, hey, I guess I'm going to go down the cross. He knew this from millennial and eternity past of what his purpose was in life and what he was going to be asked to do and what he was doing willingly. He went from glory to become, come to earth. Come to where? He came to the threshold of hell, right? He came into a world that had absolutely no light in his spiritual context and context. He came to be the only thing. He came to be, be separated from how everything in the goodness of religion, theology, stood for. And he paid the price so that you and I can have that freedom. And he did it because he willed himself. A verse that I, I have been, been using in my own life from when I get up in the morning to when the last thing I say at night and apologize, folks back here, but I haven't used any of my scripture references today. Sorry, but, um, but it's Luke. And it says, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross, you cannot be mine. What does that mean? I think it's pretty black and white what that means. Unless you take and you crucify yourself, you're not mine. A theological thing that we, we always say and we, we, and, we, and we throw this around and it sounds good, but I don't think it's really biblical, is that you know, Christ wants us to take and leave our burdens, leave our sin at the cross, the foot of the cross. And I don't really think that's really a real good gospel message. Because Christ never asked you to leave your sin at the cross. Christ asked us to take daily, pick up our cross and follow him where? We, stop, we start and we stop at the crucifixion. We stop at Golgotha. We stop and we, and we are at, at the side of Christ, aren't we? 
He asks us to do exactly what he did to give up his life. So I'm going to finish off with, with five and six here. So going back, for you must be sure of this, that everyone, sorry, everyone who is sexually immoral and impure or who is covetous, since that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then he goes back and he basically restates it again. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So who is this book written to? Let's go back to the beginning just for a second. It's written to the saints at Ephesus, isn't it? The church of Ephesus. So doesn't it seem a little bit strange that he would say, well, if you practice these things, the wrath of God, and you're a child of disobedience. Is he saying that God's children, because he opens up this by beloved children, is he saying that the wrath of God is going to be against those individuals, the ones who are saved, ones who are regenerated followers of Christ? No. He's talking about those who think they can be saved, raise your hand, say this passage, and continue living the way you are. Continue living the way they lived prior salvation. And it's okay to continue because after all, God loves me, right? And all I got to do is just say, God, forgive me for my sins and repent, and it's all taken care of, right? I don't think that's what this is saying. I think what, what the walk is, and I think what God is saying in his word is that we have to be different. We have to look, because who are we looking to? We're looking to Christ. We're looking to God. And, and see, folks, this is, this is the greatest thing that you and I have been blessed with if we know Jesus Christ. We've been given this message of the gospel. See, not just a quick fix to people's problems. See, people coming to me and they need a job. They need a resume. They've got to have this done. If they just get their, their mortgage paid for, if they just make money for the utility bill, if they just have money so they can put food on the table for their kids and their, and their family, everything's going to be good. But see, that's what the world says. The world says that if you just get your fix, if you just kind of do these things, it's okay. And we fall into this religion. If we just, you know, if we fall down a little bit and we sin, we just got to do this quick fix by saying this prayer real quick. And somehow we're all good. But I think it's greater than that. I think it's that there is, if you go back to to chapter one, we're not going to do it, but go back. If you go back and you think and you look at truly what's being said from verse three to about verse 15, I have found 18 things in those passages of who we are. We we were chosen by God before the foundations of the earth. Do you understand what that means? Can you think about that for a minute? That eternity passed, wherever that takes us in our thought, that there was only three people that ever existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And somewhere in that past, God thought of you. The Son thought of you. The Spirit thought of you. And they talked about you. And they marveled at who you were at the point of conception and what your life is going to be and who you can become. And it's somewhere in the, in, the, in the process of eternity you were born. And Christ came somewhere down the road before you were born and he died on a cross so that, what? So you could just be saved? I mean, is that, is that all the cross is, is to you? No, it, it, it shouldn't be. It is, it is the only thing that allows you and me 
to be able to come back into communion, into fellowship with God is the only thing that will allow us someday to actually be in the presence of God. We've been adopted into his family. We were an outsider, and he wanted us in his family. Do you understand what that is? I mean, that's, that's more than just, yeah, come on in. He chose us. He wants us. He, he, he loves us so much that he what? He allowed himself to be killed. That he sacrificed his son so that you and I can have a life. And what does he ask us to do? Just give, give ourselves up. Not just part of us, not just a sliver of our life's pie, but all of us. Everything, all our thoughts, all our sin, all our frustration, all our trials and persecution, all our joys. That's what, that's what Christ wants. And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you of another one. i tell you another one of my sins. I'm not doing this to brag. I'm not doing this, but I just want you... I feel sometimes when people get up to talk, and I'm not saying people here, but I've said, you've heard people talk, oh, I, had a, I haven't got a sin. Well, they threw their bubble gum out the window. It's like, really? Really? So I'm going to quickly do this, and I know because I think Pam's getting fancy with me, but um, I went to Salem, I went to uh, uh, Albany Private, uh, First Baptist Albany Private, many years ago. And so about second grade, I had a teacher by the name of Miss Scott. So it was two days before Veterans Day, and so um, she would always, you know, she, she would always pray for us. And then that day she asked, does anybody want to receive Jesus? So there were four of us, and so I was one of four. We raised our hands, so she took us one by one across the, you know, across the room to the other room and prayed with us and gave us this little Bible. And so, you know, like most people, well, yeah, you were saved, right? So between my teenage years up to about 40 years old, I lived a very immoral life. I went to Nashville, about 96, came back in about 99, trying to do the music industry. And so I was, I was in my apartment one day, and I always kept my Bible with me, but I never read it. I never went to church. I went to church twice in two years in Nashville. Uh, I got to be where I work, worked for a courier service, a Christian courier service. And so every, every day they would always pray for the day and stuff like that. And so they said, Mark, would you pray for us? I said, you know what? I won't do it because I don't believe in prayer. If you would ask me 15 years ago, one of these days, Mark, you're going to stand on stage and talk to people about God's love. I said, you were out of your mind. I was the farthest thing from that, and I lived my life this way. But you know what? I went to JBC. I even played on the worship team. The night before, I was immoral. I'll leave it at that. And the next day, I'd go over there and say a quick prayer, and I'm good to go, Right? But when I came back from Nashville, it was about February, the end of February. And I was in my room, and I, it was Saturday morning, opened my Bible up. And um, I opened it up, I said, you know, God, I've lived my life this way, so there's only one or two ways this is going to go. I'm going to dedicate myself to reading your word, and I'm going to have to let you reveal your word to me. And it's either your truth or your not truth. And if it's not truth, I'm going to continue the way I'm living because it hasn't made sense. See, what I've been doing, I've been riding the fence, you know. I've been riding what probably some of you are doing. You can act this way and live this way and take this. See, we, we look at Christianity as like a buffet line, right? We want the steak or maybe the lobster. We definitely don't want the, 
tofu, and we maybe take a little bit of salad. We definitely like the cheesecake, right? We don't want the cookie. But unfortunately, in God's line, there's only one thing. It's him. You don't get this choice. You don't get to act and live the way you want to act. So that day, I sat down and I did that. I said, God, I will vow that I will, I will seek you and do my best to follow you, but you're going to have to reveal this to me. So I went along for a few years, and I was doing pretty good. I thought, I mean, I'd gotten myself, I think, kind of on track and all that. And so about three years later, you know, I was building, and so obviously you did everything on the computer, so I'm always doing word searching and stuff, and so these things started popping up on my screen. And you all know what it was. It was porn, right? All three of you. So long story short, for Monday, I started about 15 minutes watching porn. By Friday, I was up to five and a half hours. Saturday morning, I got up, I sat at my desk, opened my Bible. The same computer, I've got a blue-letter Bible on there that I would do my, all my Bible devotional time and stuff like that, and I looked at my Bible, I closed it, I went over to the couch and sat down. And I said, you know, Lord, I made you a vow that I would never, that I would follow you. So I make you a vow today that I will never, ever open up that again. And I've never done that since that day. Do I get things on my computer? Yeah. Where do they go? They go directly to my spam. I don't even look at them. And believe me or not, but I don't. I've never, I've never had a desire to, but I think it's because that verse in Luke is what was the uh, indirect part that was coming to my surface, that I vowed to give my life to Christ, and I vowed to take up my cross daily and follow him. Do I still struggle with things? Yeah. You know, I'd be a liar to say if I didn't, but I do. But I think my action now is different than what it is. And that's not patting myself on the back. That's about for who I say I, I want to live my life for, and that is Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to end with that. I Hopefully, I didn't come across as beating anybody up. That's not my purpose, but at least to uh, challenge you. I hope the Holy Spirit has convicted you, and I hope that uh, tomorrow you live your life different. So, Father, I thank you for the day. Lord, um, I know I kind of deviated for how I formatted it, but I believe you led, and I, I love your word. Father, I just uh, pray that today that uh, the ones who are here, um, I pray you spoke to them. Spirit, I just pray that you have spoken to everyone here. Um, this is the word that you spoke to Paul, and I pray that, Lord, that I did not uh, lead people astray, that I spoke truth. I pray that they heard of Jesus. I pray that they have um, become closer to Jesus even in a short time. And that, uh, Father, that they just embrace you uh, from this day forward. I pray that, Lord, that those who have been revealed sin, that, um, Lord, they would just confess it, that they would just take it, nail it to the cross. And, uh, Father, that they're uh, their lives, uh, their paths this week uh, would reflect you and that those who meet them would see you and they would want to know why um, they are the way they are. In your name.